You're listening to episode one of the First Six Notes podcast with Classroom Composers. You're listening to the First Six Notes podcast with Classroom Composers, where we dive into everything about teaching band and strings. From pedagogy to fundraising, we'll cover it all. In this podcast, we'll be interviewing successful music teachers, composers, admin, professional private studio teachers, and more to uncover and share their strategies for musical success. So grab a chair and stand and join the conversation. This episode is brought to you by the Quarter Note Companion. The Quarter Note Companion is a method book for 17 instruments plus a full-length conductor score. Its main feature is that it is customizable and that you can teach the first five notes in any rhythm that you want. Buy once, print a bunch, and teach notes and rhythms with ease. No fancy $10 book per student required. Our simple and logical approach focuses on teaching rhythms effectively by focusing on ensemble pulse and unison rhythmic playing. You can find this method book on our Teachers Pay Teachers store at www.teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash classroom hyphen composers and it's our first featured product. Hey everybody and welcome to the first six notes podcast with classroom composers where we talk about everything teaching band orchestra and music. My name is Kevin Hoff and I'm Jessica Frank and in today's episode we are going to talk about how to grow your band and orchestra programs. Now, since this is our very first episode that we're doing, we're going to give you a little bit of our bio, just so you have a little better better understanding of who we are. So as I said, uh, my name is Kevin Hoff. I was always interested in music at a young age. My grandma was a singer and a piano player. And in fourth grade, I joined fourth grade band. I started with the alto saxophone because my friend wanted to play it, so I decided to play that one too. When I was in seventh grade, my band teacher put me at uh, second to last chair. And uh, then when I was in high school, my high school teacher suggested that I switch to tuba. Being tired of being in the back of the section, I said, yes, I'll go ahead and do this. And then was motivated and started practicing and ended up going to San Diego State to study music education on a tuba scholarship. And then after that, I got my teaching credential four years later, also at San Diego State. And after my year of teaching credential, I got my first job. My first job was up in Monterey, California, which is about two hours south or so from San Francisco. I was teaching at a middle school there, a sixth through eight middle school. I taught two periods of band at first, two periods of strings, a period of guitar, and a period of sixth grade rotation wheel general music. It was also the first time that this school had ever had a full-time music teacher, so I was the first person to do that. Four years later, it was time for a change, and I moved to where I'm currently teaching right now, which is in Oceanside, California. Oceanside's about an hour north from San Diego, and and I've been there for seven years. I've taught during my seven years there fourth and fifth grade band and strings, and then I've taught middle school band and strings. And we'll talk about more about uh, the specifics of my job a little bit later, but we're going to turn it over to Jessica and hear her bio. 
And I'm Jessica Frank, and I started band in the fifth grade because I really wanted to play the drums. But my the band teacher at the time said percussionists can only start in fifth grade. Smart idea. Smart, smart idea. idea. <laughs> I, I see now as a teacher why he did that. So he, I, he didn't want all that noise, right? So I uh, uh, waited till fifth grade, and I played then, and then I played through all throughout high school, you know, and college. Um, but Unlike Kevin, I did not major in music. I decided I was going to go into journalism. And so, probably a smart decision. Well, at the time, I thought so. <laughs> but so I, I uh, majored in that and I minored in music. I did um, some college courses in music since I still had that passion. Uh, I worked in TV news. That was my first job out of college. I worked for a small news station in which I produced the news I for the morning news. So I had to write the stories and give the traffic reports. But turns out I was miserable there. I hated it. So I decided I needed a career change. So I went back to school to get my credential and became a music teacher. Uh, along the way, I met Kevin while he was in Monterey. And then we later became married. <laughs> now we both actually work in Oceanside. And for it's the a same never ending PLC <laughs> meeting at home, it is. Uh, we both actually work for the same district, same mm-hmm. schools, even. So yep. <laughs> we are around each other a little too much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's a lot. And we work the exact same job now. And speaking of our job, I, w- I wanted to give a little bit of, of a background about our job. And because a lot of the uh, tips that we're going to give this episode about how to grow your program come from our programs. Our programs uh, were really small because we work on Camp Pendleton, in which we work at K-8 schools. So our middle school population is really small. Yeah. And so the way that our district does music is a little bit unusual, and especially in the situations that we're in is a little bit unusual. So I know that wherever you may be listening, different states do different things, different cities do different things, different districts do different things, but we'll try and give you a snapshot about what our program is like. So seven years ago, I I was hired to teach at a K-8 school, and I was hired to teach at two elementary schools. At those elementary schools, I was teaching fourth and fifth grade strings. It was a pullout program. And at the K-8 school, I was teaching strings fourth and fifth grade as a pullout. And then I was teaching three periods of middle school band and strings. And during those three periods, I would see the band kids on on, uh, Tuesday, Friday, and the string kids on Monday, Thursday. And this is how it was for a few years. And then when Jessica got hired, she got hired at one of the other K-8 schools in the district. And within our district, there are three K-8 schools, and they're all located on Camp Pendleton, which is a military base And it's full of people, it's full of Marines that live there, and we teach all of their kids. So she was hired at one of those K-8 schools, and she had her other other elementary schools as well. And we came up with the idea is, let's combine our kids to perform at all the concerts. And this actually turned out to be a good idea because... These K-8 schools have small middle school populations. Like, we're talking 100 students between 6th through 8th grade. Right. And students who move often, you know, their parents are in the military, so they typically move every two years. Yeah, that's a really good point, uh, because we we start them in 4th grade, and then by the time they leave us in 8th grade, I I mean, out of the initial 4th grade class I have, maybe two of them are still there, because they've all moved away. That's just how the life is of a military child, if you're not familiar with, with that type of kid. So anyway... Uh, Jessica's hired, and we're teaching at two of the K-8 schools, and we're doing the bands there, we're, we're combining our classes, and then for the third school, Jessica ends up taking over that one as well, and now we're combining the three schools together, 
And the thing that's kind of neat about this is finally we have actually a proper band with full instrumentation because we're able to combine our small classes and bring them into one. Right. Last year was the first year we really combined them for everything. And between the three of us at uh, three schools, so I should say, uh, we had about, what, 20 kids in, about in each band. Yeah, so about we, 20 kids we actually band, had 60 so students. 60. And, and with, with full instrumentation, I mean, we, we had the more common instruments, obviously flute, clarinets, altos, trumpets, trombones percussion but we, we we had double reeds we, we had for the oboes. first time we had double reeds and french horns for and, the and first time exactly double reeds oboes bassoons horns the lower saxes tenor sax berry sax uh full full-on percussion section and tubas baritones everything and since we had all those instruments and finally we we had grown to that point after seven years of me being there and I think five years for you, right, Jessica? Mm-hmm. And finally, we, we finally broke through and got that superior rating. And in California, the superior is uh, the highest rating that you can get. So a lot of the advice that we're going to give is going to mirror our experience teaching our kind of strange band program compared to a lot of the other ones in the state. Yeah, I mean, we felt we feel your struggles if you are currently in a small band program. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were there too. And it was an undesirable job that nobody wanted. And we've at least been able to turn it into something good. So uh, the way that we're going to break this up is uh, I've got three general tips to help you grow your program that I think apply for any type of program out there whether you're small, whether you're in the middle, or whether you're large. And then after that, we're, we're going to move into uh, the three different phases, and this is what I call them. You've, you've got your phase one band or orchestra that's pretty small. We're talking like class sizes under 20 kids in the teens, maybe in single digits. We've got the phase two band and orchestra program. We're talking mid-sized classes, maybe anywhere from 20 to 30 kids or so. And then there's the phase three band and orchestra programs, which we've all seen them. They go on stage. There's 60 kids, 70 kids, 100 kids. They got all the instruments. You sit down and they just play and you're like, whoa, like that. that's a program that I want to turn into. And so we've got some tips for how to grow your program for all three types of those different types of band and orchestra programs. But first, we want to emphasize there are three points that really apply to all the different phases. And the first one uh, we think is really important is that your personality. You have to have the right personality to attract students to your band. And by right personality, I mean being goofy and funny and silly when you're off the podium, but serious when you are on the podium. Yeah, like, and just about like the goofy thing is, is that when I'm talking to kids that have gone through the program before and they're and they're in high school or whatever now, and they come back and they talk to me about things, it's like what what they remember is they remember eating pizza. They remember when a pencil got stuck in the ceiling. They remember when I got when I said something funny or they remember when me, me and Jessica were arguing in front of everybody. And that's what they remember. They don't remember that really good lesson on 16th. No, notes. They don't actually remember the fun, you know, the <laughs> actual lessons of their instrument. Right. They remember those odd moments they had in band or when someone said something funny and just everyone, elapt, uh, you know, erupted in laughter. Yeah, exactly. Class. You know, it's so, so like like some kid farts in class or whatever. And they're like, hey, remember that one time when TJ farts? It's just like that. And like that part, it makes me mad. I'm like, you mean like you don't remember my awesome lesson that I did on, you know, I don't know, dotted quarter notes or whatever. 
It's like, no, they don't remember that stuff. They just remember all like the weird stuff that happens. And and, and it's, the other thing that's funny is that like they don't even remember like doing well at festival or whatever. They just they just remember stupid no, stuff. No, they remember going to the theme park and getting sick after eating a bunch of candy. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But you know what? That's okay because they made memories that will last a lifetime. Right. And so I think that when you realize that, it's like the personality and the funny moments that's what's important. What a colleague told me is that you need to be a kid magnet and kids want to come to you and they want to join your class. And I think that's a, that, that is important that you have a personality outside of I'm just going to be a I'm just going to be a conductor and I'm just going to be business all the time. Now, that being said, you have to wear two hats. You got to be funny. You have to be the kid magnet. But once the rehearsal begins, it's got to be night and day. Now you're their teacher. Right. Because kids need structure, which leads us to our next point about classroom management. And that is essential. Students strive to know what's happening next. Where are we going? What is our goals? They need to have a schedule because that gives them comfort and safety in your class. Yes. And uh, they need to know what they're supposed to do to help the band or help the orchestra or help the program grow. They have to know that when they're sitting in rehearsal, that they have to be actively listening and that if you're rehearsing the trumpets or the second violins or whatever it is, and they're not playing trumpet or second violin, then they need to listen. And you have to get classroom management down on day one so that you can become an an effective teacher. And classroom management is, is tough. I think... I was finally comfortable with it, year eight of my teaching career. Finally, I'm still not totally comfortable with it at some times. Oh, I definitely it, have it takes my a while. struggles. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, and so it's, it's, it's one of those things that you just have to have nailed down. And I, and I think that it's, it's important that you explain the why of classroom management more than you explain what I need you to do. Because if you explain it like, hey, like, sorry, you can't talk, but why can't you talk? Well, you can't talk because now I can't teach. And because now I can't make the trumpet sound good because you're talking and you're distracting. And they need to understand why that that's important. So you got to have your classroom management nailed down. And that goes for all types of programs. And you don't just want to yell at the students all day because they won't respect that. You know, they, you need to, like Kevin said, say why, because then they will actually listen and want to help contribute in a positive way to the group. Right. Yes, exactly. Uh, I try and not yell, and it's very rare that I do yell, and that yelling can lead to tears, and tears are usually bad, and you don't want tears, and so, but they just need to know exactly what's expected of them. So the first one, um, again, is you want that you want that silly personality. You want to be serious on the podium when you have to be. The second one is going to be that you have to have your classroom management down. And now moving on to our third point is you need to have a solid curriculum and a plan in place. Right. You have to know where you are going so you know how to get there. If you are just playing through the method book just because that's what you're supposed to do, that's not the right answer. Right. Like and I, I read in a magazine one time and, and it was a headline of some article that I, I didn't read, but 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 the headline is is what got me. It said failure to plan is planning to fail. And the, the way that I used to do things was I'd be like, OK, like we're going to work on this piece today and we're just going to listen for the mistakes and I'll fix the mistakes. 
And the problem with that is that there's like there's so many mistakes that are going to be out there, and and, and you can just spend uh, you can spend we, all day on that, yeah, all day. If you're lucky, you spend all year on that, you know, to get everything perfect. And so, like, you need to like be going somewhere. What do you want the kids to know at the end of the year? What do you want them to know in the middle of the year? I, I think that backwards planning is the most important thing. That's what took my teaching to uh, to a new level. Was when I said, okay. I need sixth graders to know this by the final concert of the year. That means they need to know this by February. That means they need to know this by December. That means they need need to know this by the first week of school. And then you start hitting those goals. And by the end of the year, it's like, okay, wow, like they're they're actually pretty sounding good now because you know exactly where they're going to be going. Right. And it actually plan, it gives you structure to your day. You know, how many times have you just kind of walked in and just played through a song because you didn't really know what else to do? I'm just going to run through every song in the run book. Through it all. You know, well, that it does, doesn't work too well. And that's boring. And it doesn't really teach the kids what they need to know. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's a little bit more like or- organization. Um, I know that's something that we try and keep our classes on a lot. And we get into a lot of arguments about that. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's important that that you know where you're going. All right, so so we've got those three general tips, and now I want to move on to the three different phases of the band program. So you have a phase one band or a phase one orchestra program, and and what I'm going to define this as is a phase one program is a program that's got under 20 kids in in the band classes or in the string classes, and the morale is pretty low. You're not playing very difficult music. The kids might be a little bit embarrassed to be in the class, and it's just not a very strong program. You've got limited instrumentation, and that was me in my first year. My very first year when I was taking over this K-8 school, it was kind of a joke class the year before that. And the only kids that were left in band were the kids that wanted to be there, because there's always those kids that are naturally drawn to music and that are going to join music and be in music and be successful, even despite a poor teacher. And that's who I was teaching this first year. So the thing that's hard about this type of band is that the morale is low and they don't know how to rehearse. And you can't put a whole lot of like really high expectations on these kids. And so that's what's difficult about this. So... The, you know, what do you do to change that? Um, so one thing you that we found really helpful for our programs early on was planning a fun field trip or music competition. We took our students, um, Kevin, your first year, uh, you took your your 15-member band. 15-member yeah, band. And uh, <laughs> your, what, 15-member orchestra? <laughs> no, no, the orchestra couldn't hack it. <laughs> okay. So I didn't bring them. Be, okay. be, because my first orchestra, we didn't even have a cello player. Oh, geez. Well, okay, that's a whole nother thing. It was a violin and viola ensemble is what it was. So they didn't get to go. But but the band, we at least had a trombone and baritone player and one alto sax and then uh, a few flutes and one percussionist. So we were able to put something together. With but band. you but, yeah. took them to our local theme park. Uh, Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry Farm, which has the upside down roller coasters, mm-hmm. which kids love. And they had a, the best day ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the kids had a lot of fun. And they did the theme park trip, and we also did the music competition in the morning. If you're familiar with Music in the Parks, that's that's a company that that I use. So if you've never done a theme park trip and you have a theme park in your area, definitely check out Music in the Parks. It's 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 really an awesome experience. 
And the thing that I noticed is that once I told the kids that we're going to do that, all of a sudden I walked into a different classroom because now it was like, hey, on April 30th or whatever the date was, we're going to be performing for judges and this is what it means. They're going to grade you. And after that, it was like the kids had a, well, it's it's either a step up or they don't. And kids don't want to look bad. And well, adults don't want to look bad either. So I got my act together more. The kids got their act together more. And we got on stage and we performed for the judges. And it wasn't terrible. <laughs> we didn't perform for a grade. We just went for comments only. But we performed two pieces for a judge that first year, and we were able to do it. And I just want to say something. It's okay to to do comments only. I know some some of you don't feel comfortable getting judged. It's it still is the same experience. So if, if comments only is all you want to do, that's okay too. Right, and and kind of like we were saying at the beginning, you know, like what do the kids remember? They remember like you know throwing pencils in the ceiling or you know just weird stuff like that. Like, they're not going to remember that they went for comments only. In no, they remember grade. the bus ride they had sitting next to their best friend, getting exactly. to talk and play video games, riding up on the bus. Right, right. That, that's what they're going to remember. They're going to remember the theme park and they're not going to care really about like what score they got. As long as they perform well and they're happy with their performance, that's, that's, that's what really matters. I know sometimes as adults, we try and get competitive and, and want to be better than other people. And, and I think it's just kind of a natural musician thing because we're all ranked at a young age, first chair, second chair, last chair. And I think it's kind of a common thing that musicians are competitive. We are very competitive. We are very competitive. <laughs> and so I think it's okay just just to go for comments only. So that first year we went for comments only, the goal, get on stage, do something, do a theme park trip. And I, I found that to be very, very successful. The other thing that I did, because uh, that was a big thing we did, but a bunch of other small things is that every single school event that I could perform at, I performed at. So we performed at back to school night, open house. We performed at, we do we did these flag ceremonies in the morning where the whole school would go together. So we would do the Marine Corps hymn because we're on the Marine base. We're at a K-8 school. So the elementary schools, they did their little singing concert or whatever in winter, right before Christmas break. We performed some Christmas songs at that. We we performed at, at another teacher, the uh, the immediate teacher. He he does movie night, so we performed at that. So we performed a lot, and like I was saying, we performed easy music, but it sounded good. And the other students at the at the school they saw they saw us performing. They saw us sounding good. They heard about the theme park trip, and then they were eager to join the next year. Right. And also that made it, you know, so you basically doubled your size, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and we'll get into that I'm in a second. But um, but yeah, like we did double the size uh, of next year because kids saw us performing and sounding good and they wanted to be part of that too. Now, um, I think uh, just a couple more things on this phase one band that you can do is that now when you perform... You have to sound good, so I'd say pick easier music. Well, pick a music that's appropriate for, exactly. for them, you know, right. like for your instrumentation and, you know, for their level. Do not pick a level that you think it's appropriate because they're a certain age level. No, pick one that's appropriate exactly. for your ability levels. Right. So like, you got to pick appropriate music that's going to sound good. And you have to nail stage presence. You have to nail the stage behavior because kids don't want to look bad. And kids that are might be joining your program, 
they don't want to look bad either. So one thing that I was able to do, and it doesn't take anybody with any sort of talent to do this, is you have to go over how you act on stage. And we were able to get ourselves, even our 15-person band, we were able to get that to a really polished look. And people, all the other kids saw how professional we were. They heard us sounding good, and then they wanted to join that. It doesn't take any skill. So, So make sure that prior to any performance that you take, I'd say, at least a week to go over how they act on stage, how they behave on stage, what's appropriate, and what is not appropriate. And the cool thing about the phase one band is that you can get this solved in a year. Right. You can have a program that is not so small the following year if you follow these simple steps. Exactly. So get them to perform a lot, get them to a music competition, have them go to a theme park or something fun in your area, make them look good on stage, pick music that'll make them sound good on stage. And then what happened to me in year two is after I took this 15-person band... In year two, it doubled in size, actually more than doubled in size. At the middle school that I'm at, we had about 100 middle school students. Okay, we had 15 in band before, and the next year we were about up to 40. Remember, 100 middle schoolers at this school, so 40 out of 100. I've I've got about 40% of the school in band, and this was a really huge growth, and I was really happy about this the following year. And the same thing happened to me, too, when I joined Uh working on at my K-8 school. So this is what I would categorize a phase two band as. Okay, so a phase two band is you've got class sizes in the 20s and 30s. You've got not complete instrumentation, but maybe you've got lower saxophones, bass clarinets, maybe a tuba, larger percussion section. You're performing music that's a little bit more difficult, but you're not maybe getting the highest scores. And maybe you're missing some key instrumentation. Exactly. It's not balanced. Right, right, right. And you're just kind of doing the best with what you have. And the hard thing about this is that you're kind of in this zone where growth can be a little bit more difficult. And I found that to get out of phase two, it might take you two to three years, maybe a little bit longer. I'd say it probably took us about, what, four years to get out of this? Yeah, to get about to four really years. program. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, these are some things that you can do to get your band from that 20 and 30 size to bigger and more impressive than that. So the first thing is that you have to be comfortable with large class sizes because you're going to need large classes in order to have all the instrumentation that you're going to need. Just think about your college band that you were in, your college wind ensemble or concert band or whatever it was. 50 people, 60 people, maybe more than that. You have to have that many kids if you're going to want to have a really strong band program or string program for that matter, too. You're going to need you're going to need a bass section. You're going to need a full cello section. You're going to need violas if you're going to. I mean, you can't just have 40 violins in a class and no lower section. You have to have six basses. You have to have 12 cello if you're going to get to that high to the higher level. So you have to be comfortable with larger class sizes. And how you get more students in your program is you can't be picky as a teacher. You know, if a student comes to you and they are eager and have enthusiasm to learn an instrument, then I will take them in my program, whether it doesn't matter their background. All I want is that they are willing to put in that effort and we could teach anyone an instrument. And uh, the tricky thing about this is that you're going to start now attracting students that aren't music first. Phase one band, you're going to have music first students in there, which is nice because they're going to pick up on things a little faster. They're going to be a little more motivated because they've been through not a great program and they're still there. 
But now phase two band. Okay, those music first kids are going to bring their friends. Hey, join the band. We did a lot of cool things as you're joining the orchestra. We did a lot of cool things. And now you're going to get these non-music kids that might not play at the next level. But that's okay because you need them to be in your program and you need them to be on your ensembles. Right. Just like a sports team, not everyone can be the star quarterback. You need the supporting players as well. You have to have second and third clarinets in addition to first clarinets. It's important on that. So now, because you have more different types of kids in the band, you have to be a different person. You have to have a personality, like this is why personality is so important. You have to have a personality that will attract those kids. You have to be able to provide something for the kids that want to play football first, or that want to do sports first, or that want to do something different besides band first. And you have to be able to relate to them and to get them to make band a priority as well. Right. They have to buy into the program exactly. and they're not going to buy in if you don't, you can't relate to them at all. Or, or if you only want band kids so that you can't be picky about the kids that join. You also have to be comfortable taking in beginners and depending on the kind of teaching setup that, that you have, maybe you have a beginning band program or beginning strings program and, and you can put them in that class. Uh, maybe you don't. And which is in our situation, we had, we, cause since we work in a military base, we have a lot of kids move all the time. Do all we the have time. someone who moves in and says, Hey, I want to be in the band or they, you know, they're an eighth grader. They didn't have band or orchestra at their last school and they want to learn an instrument. I, we have to take those students in, uh-huh. you know, oftentimes if they are motivated, like I said, they actually will catch up and be just as good on their instrument as the kids who started in sixth grade. Right, exactly. And I've seen that time after time after time after time when these kids will just show up and and then they just get it or you just put them with the partner that gets it and they bring them up to speed. It's painful at first. It's painful at first. I worry about them. I lose sleep over them. And I get into many arguments with Jessica about them. It's just (laughs) just like, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. And just, but, but they just, they just seem to get it. Well, and that comes with uh, having a higher standard of a group. You know, when a new student joins, they understand that this is our level of expectations for the class and they meet that, which actually brings us to our next phase. Yeah. And that's going to be the uh, the phase three band and uh, the phase three band or orchestra. It's uh, now you finally got there and you're one of those groups that you're confident. You go on stage and everybody goes, wow. And you're playing a higher level music. And you're getting the top scores at your competitions and your contests and all that stuff. And uh, the thing about this that's kind of nice is that you can start being a little picky now. And well, one way you need to be picky is actually talking with your admin and getting the right schedule. Because maybe you only had one period of band or one period of orchestra. Or when we started, Kevin, they wanted to put our strings and orchestra in our strings and band kids yeah, in one band, period. And yep. that doesn't work. And you all know that. But right. So it but means they just see music and they say, oh, just teach them yeah. music. It's like, well, nope. I mean, there's different levels. So you might have and to fight. Instruments. You might have to show why, but you you probably have the numbers to back up why you need another period of music. Right. So as you get to phase two and phase three, your schedule becomes very important so that you can teach those different levels. And so, but you can start being picky about the schedule. You can start being picky about the students because now you don't need all those students because you have too many of them. And we're finally at that point where it's like, we've got too many students and we can raise the level of expectation. And for this year, what the hope is, is that they all meet our level of expectation. And and if they don't, well, it's kind of like we don't necessarily need them this year because we have too many kids already. 
Yeah, it's crazy to think that this is our first year we're in that situation. Yeah, where we have too many kids in the program. And it's a good place to be. It's a good problem to have. And I anticipate that most of them will rise to rise to the challenge. And that will have a good year. Now, the other thing that's that's important is that you have to continue the high level of performance. Because now that you're getting top scores, you have to year after year get those top scores. And and something that I'm kind of dreading is that is when we do our festival performance in March, is that we don't get that top score. And I have to look at and I've been building up this the whole year. We we need to get top score. We need to get a superior. We need to do this. And then they're gonna look at us and be like, we didn't get this. And the and the thing is the kids know that last year the top band earned a superior. So they they're going to know like what's wrong with us? Why didn't exactly, we get a superior? Exactly. So so I'm just gonna I mean, this is why we plan and this is why we prepare so that that doesn't happen. Because if you're planning to prepare, then you then you should get your superior as long as as long as the kids are able to do their job and we're able to do our job, then we should be fine with that. But just because you're in phase three, you can't let down your guard. You still have to keep up that work. Yes, 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 exactly. So the name of the game is sustain when you get to that top level. So let's go ahead and recap everything uh, right now. And so our three general tips are going to be that your personality is most important. Kids want to be in band because of you. And in all reality, their memories are banned are not your excellent rehearsals that you've run. It's all the funny things and being with their friends. The second thing is, is that you have to have classroom management down. You got to have them feel safe. They have to know what to do. And then the third thing is that you need to make sure that you're having instructional goals and you have your year planned out so that everybody knows where they're going. And our phase one band is if you have a small band of like 20 students or under or orchestra program. But to get out of that, you want to plan a fun field trip or music competition and perform as often as possible. And you also want to nail your stage presence. And make sure that you sound good when you're playing too. For the phase two group, that's a group about 20, 30, maybe, maybe a little more than, than 30 students or so. You want to continue to perform often. You want to continue to do your field trips. You need to take everybody into your program, whether they're a band kid, orchestra kid, or not. And you need to learn how to manage and handle large class sizes of kids that maybe don't have that same level of motivation as some of your, let's say, first chair students do. And then lastly, phase three is when you have begun earning those top scores, that morale is really high in your program, and you can start to be selective and who wants to be in your program and how you um, it feeds itself. But you have to continue with that high demand and to, to continue earning high results. Exactly, because when the results go, that's when the program goes too. So you got to make sure name of the game is sustained. So thank you very much for joining us on our first episode here with the first six notes podcast by classroom composers if you found anything that you found useful in this podcast go ahead and leave us a review uh subscribe to our podcast that helps out the algorithm a lot and check out our website classroomcomposers.com and check out our teachers pay teacher store classroom composers where we have lots of resources for the beginning band and string programs that is affordable too. And you can buy it once and copy a bunch. Right. We continue to make products to to help you in your programs. Please listen next time. We will be uh, recording episodes twice a month. So look out for that next episode. Thank you for joining us. And this is Kevin Hoff and Jessica Frank signing off. And that's it for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show 
Leave us a review, share it with a friend, connect with us on Instagram, and check out the show notes. And while you're at it, check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store at www.teacherspayteachers.com slash store slash classroom hyphen composers and our website at classroomcomposers.com. Until next time, keep inspiring.